Hi everyone. Before we start the show, I wanted to ask that if you like what we're doing here, you might consider donating to keep it moving onward and upward. We have a Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon and a PayPal at paypal.me backslash Hegelbon. $5 a Patreon will get you bonus episodes, but even a dollar helps more than you can imagine because no cartridge is funded by listeners like you. Thank you. Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbond on Twitter, and I'm very happy to have with me today uh, my longtime friend, Connor McGovern, who uh, I would give your Twitter handle, but you are famously uh, not on Twitter very much anymore. A very good decision. Yeah, no, it's, and, and all <laughs> of us on Twitter <laughs> wish we could be you, and just sort of looking across, you're sitting in an Adirondack chair, drinking a nice drink, and um, we're toiling away in the argument minds. Um, but you're back here right now, which is great. Um and you have some thoughts about, I mean, you have thoughts about a lot of things. Um, you know, Connor and I have I've talked about many things over the years, but you came to me today thinking about um, kind of like gaming and particularly you were talking about like mini gaming, as, as you put it. So what sort of the, how, do, how can we understand that just to start off? Yeah, so I I, I was really interested. I've, I've been over the last year or so um, getting much more involved with sort of miniature war gaming. Uh, okay. Though I probably do a lot less gaming than I just do painting, uh, just because I find it, like, incredibly soothing after work to come home and spend, like, lose five hours just painting some little toy soldiers. Um, but it's it's interesting because I was really into this as a kid, you know, like, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, um, and then I sort of lost it as high school went on, lost, you know, didn't do it in college. Right. You, you kind of become too cool for that kind of thing. Like, I was just about to ask, like, did you stop because it was, like, uncool to paint little figurines, or was it, yeah, was it time, or just kind of a combination of both? Probably probably a combination of both. Mm-hmm. I think, like, if I went back in time, I'd, like, tell my college self to be like, hey, play some mini games, play Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Like, that's who you are, not someone trying to be cool. <laughs> Um, <laughs> You'll never convince but, your college self that. Uh, I mean, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, so one of the, the I, 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 talking to friends, like everyone seems to have these sort of like gaming white whales that they go back to um, periodically or, or after a long time. Um, and I uh, and the the one I had was was Heavy Gear, which okay. is this. Which there was a there was a computer game I think or two back in the the nineties. Yeah, I remember the title in, in any case. 
Yeah, and it, and it, but it was like a sort of anime-inspired mecha miniature game, like along the lines of Mech Warrior, but more anime-ish. Okay. Um, and there's no, there's no real appeal to this game other than the fact that I played it a few times as, I think, a seventh grader. Okay. Um, and then they came out with a Kickstarter this year or last year, and I, I, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it. I, I feel, I feel like I need to do this. You know, I was like Ahab on the, <laughs> the ship chasing this white whale, and and it's and the, the minis come and they're terrible. Like they're just not great miniatures compared uh. to the companies. But I'm still like I need to paint these. Um, so, so but I think like with I think what's interesting too is I have these really good sort of memories around this game even though seventh grade was just like every in everybody's life is just like the worst right yeah like i (laughs) i I don't know what i'll do when my daughter gets to seventh grade like i'll have to tell her you know like oh it's gonna be a great year you'll like you'll definitely thrive it's you know it's a it's a new opportunity in the back of my mind i'll be like this is gonna be awful for her like no one likes seventh grade yeah junior high is just the worst possible time but but it's like you have these kind you kind of over time sort of forget the bad things and just remember mm-hmm. these like individual good moments. And it's interesting when when I think back and like certain moments are attached to games. So like you have heavy gear, uh I remember like ninth and tenth grade maybe I played a ton of like Baldur's Gate two on the computer, which I still think is like the greatest game ever made. Yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic late junior high high school game for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um and then and then uh you know, I think it was. I can still remember going abroad. Um, the first time I left the country was after my sophomore year of college. I went to Bosnia for the summer, and I played. I had my laptop, and I played a lot of Europa Universalis three. So I still like think about that um, hmm. and like attach EU and EU four to to sort of those memories. To to your memories in Bosnia. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just interesting that these games are attached to often like positive memories in a way you kind of chase them. Um, I don't know. Have you had that? Definitely. No, I mean like there's a, you know, like I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, the only example I have abroad is I played through the first uh, Nintendo metal gear uh, in London when I was like, I studied abroad in London. Like one of the first days I was there, I was a little too afraid to go out and like meet friends and stuff. (laughs) So I just stayed in my flat and played uh, Metal Gear Solid 1, or Metal Gear 1, excuse me. Not even the good one, just, like, one of the bad games. <laughs> uh, and I'll always associate that with, like, being in a London flat and watching the sun kind of slowly set. Um, but, no, I mean, like, a lot of a lot of games, like, I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this in other podcasts, but a lot of games like uh, Final Fantasy VII, uh, mm-hmm. Zero yeah, Gears, another... yeah, even Chrono Trigger, <laughs> like, back, like, I can, I can, some of my older memories, uh, like, older life memories, Involve like Chrono Trigger mm-hmm. in days where I can like actually place myself doing it and and see myself playing the game, like those kind of things are all located in a in a space and also a lot of times um, with like a particular CD I was listening to over the music or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting that you can sort of that that these that these game memories these memories of play so to speak become like ingrained in your head and like the, you can remember specific days or specific incidents i mean i i can remember going back as a kid um and what was it? we went to some 
garage sale. It was when we had a we just had a Nintendo. I was probably six or seven years old. Sure. Um, and we got we speaking of Metal Gear, we got Snake's Revenge, which was oh no, the worst Metal Gear, <laughs> which was like a knockoff. I don't the think unlicensed Metal Gear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I still remember getting that. I remember being at that garage sale and getting this game with like a Rambo lookalike on the cover, and my dad being like, "Oh, this looks this looks good," and playing that and just losing horribly. But yeah, but I still can like recall that garage sale when I was six, seven years old, picking up that game. It's it's it, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Um, I've been reading so. Oh, go ahead. I was just say I've been reading this book um, and just kind of finishing up now. It's a book group um in, in here in dc uh it's it's robert jordan's rise and fall of american growth oh i like jordan he's really good or robert uh robert gordon excuse me robert jordan wrote Wheel of Time. yeah i was like wait i, I know robert <laughs> jordan and i like that author but he's not an academic okay robert gordon makes sense yeah i i don't know him but i'm sure he's very good yeah, um, his brother is actually some like I guess was a was like a Marxist economist in the seventies. I mean, I think Robert is a little more sort of left liberal type, but but it's a it's a very interesting book about how U.S. standard of living has changed since sort of after the Civil War through to today. But one point he makes early on, and it's kind of like this get off get off my lawn sort of point. Um, <laughs> is that one way that that living standards have changed a ton is in childhood. Um, hmm. And he says, you know, that that a uh, hundred years ago it was kids were in mines leading around mules, um, and now they have... Uh, now they have all these like video games, you know, you got, it's, it's, it's very play oriented, etc. I, I think it's kind of, there's kind of like a first, this tragedy then is farce thing here mm-hmm. because we've gone from like mules and mines to like Minecraft where the kids can like <laughs> lead mules around in mines. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing there is that, you know, obviously, and this is something like I, the, the chapter I always cite in capital that people should read and <laughs> no one, no one trusts me. Uh, no one will ever read Capital on my recommendation, but I'm going to keep they trying. They should, though. Yeah, they should. It's really good. <laughs> Capital's wonderful. Um, but uh, the Working Day chapter, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that one, but um, it's largely just these Victorian sort of like uh, Dickensian uh, stories about people you know working in mines or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marx basically explains that like it's really good that we eliminated child labor or like started to eliminate child labor and made the working day go from 16 hours to eight hours. Um, but then he adds his bit about like relative surplus value and says, yeah, you know, the big thing there though is the capitalist still needs all the labor he had from you before he's going to get it in eight hours as opposed to 16. So you get to work a lot harder. Um, right. it's not a change in the system. It's a change in like the conditions and it's good, but it's not total. And I always thought that was a very powerful chapter because of the, the sort of like hero's journey. And then at the end, he undercuts it so badly. Um, on purpose, I mean, but, uh, classic Marxian. He's, he's (laughs) such a, he's such a jerk. Um, but the, um, I I think there's a way of thinking about like the way kids have, because of course, like kids, not kids wandering around in mines and doing dangerous work is, is a worst case scenario. You don't want that. You don't want a bunch of child laborers. Um, and I would agree with Gordon in that respect. Uh, but it's also true that like from preschool on, 
these kids are now um, forced to valorize their own human capital almost every step along the way. So, like, the idea of having a brand, the idea of having, like, a particular way that you're marketing yourself, the way that, you know, you have to be a professional, uh, that starts really early. So, the tragedy farce thing totally works in terms of, like, minds and then Minecraft. Um, (laughs) That's catchy, and and I I buy it. Um, But also in terms of, like, uh, yeah, like, kids were sort of, like, building capital and now they're just becoming like lifelong laborers, uh, which probably makes for a better uh, standard of life, but also still benefits capital in the exact same way. Right, exactly. All this sort of, all this, uh, even, even, but it's it's true that even like the playtime, even Minecraft is often like cited as a, oh, these kids will learn to be engineers. Um, it's not pure play, right? It's always yeah. like, they're gonna learn programming skills. They're gonna learn engineering. Well, look at Notch. I mean, it's not like it's not like this is a guy who was like, no, I made this to be pure art. Like this is this is a pure expression of play. It's like I made this and it made me a ton of money, and now I don't like people who don't have a lot of money. Like it's it's very much a it's very much a a thing that Minecraft leans into. I guess I'd say. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, I think I don't know a lot about Minecraft uh, aside from making jokes about it. But yeah, same here, unfortunately. <laughs> It seems it seems like a very interesting game, um, but but yeah, I, I wonder if like you go back a hundred years when these kids were in these mines, do there is there like this is there still that sort of like nostalgia around childhood? <laughs> Are they like I remember when I was like kicking the ball around that day, right? Like we I we were talking about these attachments, how we can sort of place the ourselves with these video games, these miniature games, or games in general. Are is there like a is there like a mine? Um, is the, is like the, these kids like oh, I remember kicking the ball around and it's yeah it's an interesting question because yeah. of course like I'm sure on some level I want to say yes because the idea of like childhood nostalgia is by no means new and you can see that in like Shakespeare plays there's all sorts mm-hmm. of discussion of nostalgia but often by the nobles and I mean I wonder if there's any sense of play that one can still have if one is like always working like do you want to on one hand i want to say like yeah kids don't kids can't differentiate between work and play um but on the other hand i kind of think that might be a little naive or a little too too on the nose right yeah it's a i i just i mean i think like it's it's absolutely true that there's that I'd, i'd have to imagine it's it's a lot like me saying in seventh grade everything was terrible but now i have these sort of like good memories to the point where i want to order just like clunky ugly <laughs> miniatures paint right. them, and play just i mean this game is like it's it's one of those you know like those old avalon hill rule books where they would you had like my dad had this game called called uh it was it was like the arab israeli wars uh, and it, it was one of those like yeah, it was one of those like chick games they had in the in okay. the 70s. like stratomatic yeah. football or something like that. Yeah, and he had one called like Rise and Decline of the Third Reich, which was almost as almost as complicated. Um, <laughs> it like simulated the entire war in Europe. Oh, so, yeah, uh, it was. But they but they have like these rule books that are really thick, and it would have things like, you know. In the Arab-Israeli wars, I think I remember there was, like, a specific rule if you had interdicting fire on a highway at nighttime east of the Suez Canal or something like that. Wow. It was, like, it, it's one of these, like, 10.1.0.4, you know, like, 
<laughs> I mean, just, yeah, just all sorts of references back. Like, <laughs> I'm sure there's like one person who's memorized every rule, but yeah, I mean, those games are just completely unplayable. Uh, yeah, of course. But <laughs> that those, sounds horrible. Though people do play, I mean, I mean, I'm going down to uh, Historicon tomorrow in, in Fredericksburg, um, and you go, you walk around, and and I mean, a lot of the people who go to these sorts of things are you get normal people, and then you get sort of. Um, you know, people who are really into the Confederacy or, or, uh, say, sure. you know, this is kind of the nature of historical wargaming. Um, people who, who, who say, you know, oh, the, the German, the German army wasn't bad. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, they weren't. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, I, I actually just released a podcast where someone was talking about, um, Steel Division Normandy. And they're uh, 44, and they were saying like, yeah, you know, you can. The game goes for historical verisimilitude so hard that you can play as the SS, um, oh. and it's like, it's which is interesting. Uh, but then you get all these people online who are like, actually pretty committed to Nazism, uh, playing <laughs> yeah. as the SS, and so like, it is. It's that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, that happened, and you know, put it in the game, whatever. Um, but it's also like, man. There's there's something weird about all the kind of threads being put in and from a contemporary position, right? And you see this. There's there's, I mean, I a World War Two gaming probably draws the like worst people. I don't know mm-hmm. the American Civil War may too. Uh, That's not a great one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you know there's there's overlap between this and the sort of reenactment communities, um, but it's it you some people seem to have a good grasp on it and then there are people you'll see games at like historicon where they're playing like some sort of you know it's like concentration camp breakout or something it's really bad and you're like what do you think it or like modern games where it's like um you know iraq or afghanistan you know ongoing conflicts those aren't games that you yeah that's bad yeah it's it's or or the or like British colonial ventures in the Sudan or, or Zuland or something. And you're just kind of like, this is this is really ugly. Yeah, I, I you know it's it's funny because like part of me wonders if a lot of this has to do a lot of these sort of attachments to these, um, if I were to say kind uh, kindly like ultra like like kind of like out there unfashionable uh, <laughs> topics. And if I were to be less kind, I'd say like offensive and unusual <laughs> topics. Um, I wonder if any of that has to do with that, like, version of nostalgia you were describing early mm-hmm. on, where, like, in fact, a lot of our childhood nostalgia is based off of objects or items or commodities, for lack of a, a better word, that we either got or didn't get, right? Where, like, yeah. you could remember with sort of, like, perfect clarity what you wanted in seventh grade and what you got in seventh grade, right? Or, uh, yeah. excuse me, even when you're seven, like seven years old, seventh grade, like both sort of like, you know, I can imagine the sort of like Ninja Turtle toys I wanted and didn't have. And I could even pull up like a, a small inventory of what I had or like, yeah. you know, I remember wanting a 3DO when I was like 10 and my dad wisely saying no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, it, it really is like, you know, if you take that back 30 or 40 years, I mean, there's all sorts of those, like, extraordinarily racist and, to our own minds, like, offensive and unacceptable things that were available for kids, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I wonder if that has to do with it, like, that sort of nostalgia and then the resistance to say, like, no, this is okay because it's my nostalgia. It's the thing I like. 
Right. And I think in addition, I mean, especially with the sort of the sort of war stuff, how much of like, especially, I mean, a lot of the people at the that like Historicon are in their 60s or 70s. Um, and this community is overwhelmingly baby boomer. Right. Um, and I think the, the question then becomes, to what extent was it this sort of glorification of the, the victories of World War Two or mm. um, which which you saw in the sort of rise of the plastic army man, the G.I. Joe, <laughs> you know, later on. You sure. G.I. Joe. All this like. Uh, I, I mean, I think toy soldiers are a pretty have been have been around since ancient times, but there there is this sort of this was bad. I mean, and of course we see it with the rise of Trumpian nostalgia, uh, make America great again, and stuff. I mean, we we weren't we weren't going to get through this podcast without saying that, I guess. No, I mean, <laughs> again, I mean, it, it it has been brought up many podcasts uh, at this point. This is the first time because of nostalgia. It's been brought up because it actually is a line said in uh, Metal Gear Revengeance um, before Trump was elected. All sorts of like. It's all sorts of make America great again in this podcast, which is <laughs> not what I would have expected when I started it. But you know, it's okay. But but I think that that whole like that whole play on nostalgia really, I think you you see it across. It's people remembering this this childhood um, of the fifties, this sort of like golden age of capitalism, um, this golden age right after the the great victory of of World War Two. And, but also yeah. just you know I think in it, a it's weird because I remember being like I remember watching the sort of surreally because I've I've spent a lot of time in Bosnia as an adult um, and sort of surreally watching on my my grandmother's bed watching Sarajevo you know explode on in night back in ninety two on sure. TV. Um, and like playing with army men while it happens, right? Which is sort of a weird. You couldn't, yeah, you could write that because they'd say it was too on the nose, kind right, of. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, and and, but that's like probably the first time I heard Sarajevo, or it's it's what I attached it to before I ever went there. So it's a, yeah, it's certainly. I mean, like I'm, I'm the, the the memory I have is bombing. Um, although I was alive, uh, probably exactly the same age. Uh, it what ninety two. Yeah, yeah, I was seven. Um, yeah, and but my first memory of like actually watching a bombing on TV was the bombing of uh, or the shelling of um, uh, Kosovo. Uh huh. Which like again, the first time I'd heard the name Kosovo, the first time I'd thought yeah. about that area of the world, um, and it's night vision and being bombed. And, and you're right, it's like totally surreal because it, in some ways, and this isn't meant to be a ham-fisted turn back. It doesn't even have to be a turn back, but um, you know, in some ways, it just looks like a video game. Right. No, like, and absolutely. I think, yeah, that I, I remember there was this real rise in the like late nineties of um it was sort of a it was sort of a parallel rise. You'd get I remember the Discovery Channel, this this was sort of when the History Channel became a big thing. Um back when the History Channel showed like non alien stuff. Um <laughs> The Dark Ages. Yeah, you're right. Uh but there I remember there was all these videos and documentaries about especially U.S. air power during the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did. It looked like video games. 
you would have, you know, the, the, all the stuff about stealth fighters and, and how the bombing campaigns happened there. And it was all from the air. It was all on these like green screens. And that sort of paralyzed, par- paralyzed, par- paralleled the uh, rise of these flight simulators in that, that same era. Yeah. All those like Jane's super realistic, um, you know, like there was like Longbow 2 and F 15. It was like just like flying one of these planes um yeah there and like the the lack of the sort of distinction that was made there between like this isn't a game it's a flight simulator there's not supposed to be whimsy here this is like a serious thing and like the the, you had to this particular joystick and it was these particular key codes and like you'd know people who would have like the thing taped along their computer mirror uh monitor to kind of like indicate what all the things were yeah like they always had the keyboard cut out yeah. yes yes and like you couldn't you couldn't like mess around on that keyboard it wasn't a game it was a flight simulator um yes no i mean and that that like the sort of like distinction there between like flying planes is like a video game but more important um which on one hand distinguishes it from video games but on another more important way like all of those flight missions now just looked like a type of video game. Yeah. Do you remember they came out the the US Army came out with that America's Army uh shooter? Yes, and actually I was re- I was reminded of it because uh I was, <laughs> I I was rewriting a uh, or revising a, a piece that I have uh submitted to uh a journal a while back and um I make mention of this artist's uh piece called Dead in Iraq which he did on the America's Army server, where he'd just go in as a uh, as a player, and um, in chat would just type the names of people who had died in Iraq until he got booted. Um, which, like, I didn't I didn't have all the kind things in the world to say about that. I just right. thought it was kind of I thought it was like, yeah, all right, like it's kind of interesting. It's not really all that important as far as art goes. You want whatever. But I was kind of taken with the idea of doing that in America's Army just because it's such, like, a transparent, yeah. um, you know, jingoism. <laughs> I just I just remember when that came out. Then they were going to do one. I don't think they ever did, which was more like a, a Sims game oh. for soldiers. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, you, like, managed your unit. And, like, they all had needs. I don't know. I just remember that was a thing that wow. they are planning to do. And it was like I thought you meant, like, maybe it would be, like, a Sims game where, like, you have to manage yourself, and then, like, you have to make sure your family hangs together at home, and, like... Yeah, well, that's... I mean, I can't imagine it would be remotely realistic, given what my friends who were, you know, mili- you know, army officers and stuff have said, which was that their job was mostly babysitting. Uh, they were deployed, <laughs> so, you know, bailing pe- right. people out of DUIs was, like, half the job. I can't imagine. Ugh. <laughs> that would be... Uh, yeah, that wouldn't be... That wouldn't really make it into a uh, propaganda game, I don't think. Right, exactly. Um, but I remember they were they were planning to do that, and they I, I assume they never did. But uh, I'm sure we would have heard about it by now. I, <laughs> yeah. um, wow. So I wonder. One of the things that's been coming through my mind, and I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask. Uh, so you do like when you talk about mini games, like do you do Warhammer stuff like that? Yeah. Um, okay. I have a bunch of Space Marines uh, for for like Horus Heresy sitting on my, well, they were sitting on my desk and then my fiance made me get a case to keep them in because they were starting yeah. to take over the apartment. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a, there I've got, I'm just looking at the, the case right here. I've got Warhammer saga, which is a sort of dark ages, 
Okay. Um, yeah, which I actually think is the best because it's very it's it's very um, elegant in its rules and simple. I've got some Franks for that and some Vikings. Hmm. Firestorm Armada. See, now I'm just going through. I, I now you get to see how big of a nerd I am. All uh, right, I'll put it on the table, man. Firestorm Armada, and then I got some English Civil War guys at the bottom. Here. Wow, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool is not the word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wonder. I wonder about like so like some of these are are obviously from real conflicts like the English Civil War. Um, but it's interesting to me because, of course, those the conflicts you're talking about are very, very uh, far removed from our contemporary moment. Like, it's not like I actually was told that there are still hard, hard feelings from like those old wars. But <laughs> it's not as if in in an American setting you're going to bring right. up the English Civil War and inflame any passions. Um, and especially with Warcraft, it's almost all allegorical, right? Like, there are Space Marines. There's you know other people. And if you want to imagine they represent certain real world factions, you could. Um, but you certainly don't even have to do that. Um, do you think there's something? Do you think there's something kind of like freeing or otherwise differently licensed in uh, that? That might not be the best way to say it, but it's the the one coming to mind in kind of hypothetical or distanced uh, miniature gaming like that, as opposed to say, um, you know, the historical reenactment like we were talking about of something like uh. Uh, World War Two, or even like Vietnam, or or you know one of our more contemporary fraught wars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's just it's it's vastly different. I think the mm. the people that play it are are vastly different. Um, the the setting of the setting of like Warhammer 40k is very it's it's very bleak. It's uh, you know it's a I suspect the people who founded it, because I think they sort of came out of that same, like, 80s punk scene as, like, a lot of these anarcho-leftist types. I mean, now it's a okay. publicly traded corporation, so I doubt they retain too much of that. But I think originally <laughs> it sort of, it probably came out of this, like, nerdy anarchist-type punk space. Because okay. um, you can see hints of that still in the fluff, though... It's it's kind of been excised as newer generations have come in, um, but it's it's yeah. There's definitely like a this isn't real. There aren't there aren't real people that are alive that were affected by this. We're not we're not gaming real um, real people, real situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's but but it's interesting because. I I think I'm not a huge shooter fan, um, and I think the last shooter I probably played in earnest was uh, was like Battlefield 1942. Okay, like the original one years ago, and it it was World War Two, which can be kind of tricky. But I think the best thing about that was it wasn't super, it wasn't like farcical, but it was it was goofy enough that you could like jump in a jeep and sort of do like tricks and stuff <laughs> sure right that it didn't feel super it didn't feel serious right and i think like you you need to approach real conflicts with a certain amount of like lack of seriousness or else you're just going to turn into the guy who i will probably see tomorrow who's like wearing a uh confederate <laughs> cap as he like games antietam <laughs> you know which is creepy yeah, no, of course. It's 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 really interesting because like on some level, 
there's like you know the obvious critique you'd make of something like Warhammer, and I'm sure the critique has been made 800 times, um, and it's not one I'm particularly sympathetic to, but you know, I'll, I'll make it. The idea that like it's frivolous, right? Like that mm-hmm. painting these miniatures, doing these little pewter statues or whatever they are, are it, it's it's frivolous. You come up with this little army, you paint them, it takes a ton of time, and you just play a little game. Uh, whereas something like reenacting World War Two. You'd say, like, well, yeah, okay, there's a level of frivolity to it, but it actually happened. It's real. You're learning something. You're covering true history. Um, To me, it sort of seems like the frivolity in there, like, the fact that, yeah, at the end of the day, like, the space marines aren't real or, like, you know, the various various, uh, groups of people you can play as as in Warhammer aren't real. Um, I feel like that's actually, like, much more productive than – and this is sort of what you just said, like, much more productive than getting so obsessed with what – "Quote unquote," actually happened that you become like a a historical pedant at a at a booth or something like right. that. Right, and so much of like history, especially of those eras, were written by right wingers anyway. So you're, oh yeah, of course. So you're sort of stuck with like these really right wing tropes, and like the other thing I like, and and this is where I differ from the person I I play most of my mini games with. Um, is that I like to be able to sort of have a narrative around my guys, so to speak. So okay. there's a sort of story-building, narrative, imagination thing there. Um, there's certain games, like I know Malifaux is a very popular game, um, and the rules are very good and, and well-balanced and very good for a sort of competitive setting, but the aesthetic is such that if you have a guy... You have X character, that is X character, right? There's no okay. sort of imagination here. You're just, it, it's it's like playing a Euro game almost, right? You're just mm-hmm. sort of figuring out the, the strategy, which is a lot of computer games fall into that. Um, you know, yeah, like, like the Paradox games or like a, a European Universalis or something like that. Yeah, or, or I mean, it's it's... To some degree, it's like the difference between The Witcher, which I really like, in which you're playing this established, um, like, character, and and something like Baldur's Gate, where you're playing someone within the boundaries of this narrative, but it's sort of whoever you choose, right? You can be a half-orc, a right. half-elf, pretend it's you, pretend it's someone else. So right. I, I prefer games where there's a little bit more of sort of... Uh, this imagination that can go into it, you have more, you have more freedom to do that. Um, and since I'm, since I'm playing a lot less than I am painting, I think that's kind of what drives me in that. Um, yeah, I was actually going to ask that because it seems like some of what uh, compels you about this is actually like the bespoke quality of it, where like actually you're, if you'll, I'm not calling you a hipster or anything. I'm using bespoke in, in as, much of a, as much of a true term as I possibly can. I'm not using it as a as a dog whistle, um, <laughs> but like you know, it is this bespoke quality where like you you paint the characters, you determine the characters, you can set up the scenario, you set up sort of the conditions behind the scenario, mm-hmm. the context for it. Um, I mean, is that do you ever play like the? It would seem to me anyway. Maybe you play them, maybe you don't. Uh, you could speak to that. Um, it seems to me like that would be lacking in uh, the video game, like the actual sort of like PC ports of Warhammer games, like the uh, the Total War Warhammer games, or like I, I forget what they all are. They they just seem to keep coming out. Yeah, um, yeah. But it seems like something is missing from the experience. 
Yeah, and and the reason and they keep coming out and they've come out more and more. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, it was only like you could get Chaos Gate, which was this sort of like broken XCOM clone, <laughs> and that was it. And now there's like, well, it's like Dawn of War is the big one, and it's these big budget games. And I suspect, even though I played to sort of bring it all around, I, I suspect, even though I played Warhammer when I was a kid around the same time I played Heavy Gear. I suspect there wasn't the same level of nostalgia because the IP was not only there, but became more and more prominent even as I got older. Sure. Um, and more mainstream. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the... I I like the, the, the video games, but they do have a very different quality to them, right? You're playing these single-player campaigns, and I sort of rarely play... To get good at a multiplayer game, you just have to have more time than I'm willing to put in. I can't believe that you like you like quit Twitter because of your mental health and then wouldn't want to dive into the world of online games, uh, <laughs> online gamers like that. That just seems crazy to me. Like they're they're the nicest people on earth, right? Yeah, I played. Uh, uh, someone got me into uh, what's it? What is it? Overwatch. Um, oh yeah. And I think that was well done for a sort of you. You could have a be- you could have beginners and and sort of a beginner. I don't. I'm. If you're a quick twitch person, you got to sort of learn that muscle memory. And like I said, I don't have the time for that. But even if not, you can be the healer guy or something like that. Is so they have the they have roles for new newbies in those types of games. And I've, I I think a long time ago I had a podcast on Overwatch. I'm actually going to have another one pretty soon. Um, but yeah, I find Overwatch super interesting because of that and uh, because of the fact that it has a pretty uh, kind online community, all mm-hmm. things considered. Um, but by and large, it seems like most online communities are not that. Like they're <laughs> they're very ready to yell at you for learning the game. Uh, right. So I can I can understand why you'd stick to. I would also uh, stick to single player in that in that world. Yeah, and I mean even in the even in the mini gaming community, it's really interesting to see the like gaming forums. Like if you go on the Reddit uh, like Warhammer site versus the sort of uh, the painting communities, like if you go on the, yeah. if you go on, well, Reddit has one, Facebook has a bunch of these, these much like bigger Facebook pages, and the painting communities are just so much kinder uh, <laughs> than the gaming communities. I think in part, of course, yeah. I think part in the the crowd probably skews older, um, which which helps. Like fourteen year olds are just as we've talked about, sort of a mess. But uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot of that, but yeah, to get back to your point, I think there's the, the video game adaptations of these are good, but you're, you're constrained in that you're playing someone else's narrative. Hmm. So what, what about mini gaming appeals to you most? Cause it seems to me there's like a couple of, there's like a bunch of things going on here. There's, and I can, I can narrow them down to three. There's the sort of like, um, uh, artisan quality of mm-hmm. being able to take something that is, you know, unpainted, undone, and finish it up, which is like I, I understand that I, I can sort of sympathize with it. I've never done it because I'm just not very good at uh, those sort of like small uh, brushstroke things. Maybe I could get good at it, but it's never been something I've tried. Uh, but I can appreciate that and understand sort of where you're coming from on that. There's the the sort of like mechanical or rules uh, element of it, where you're actually learning a game. And then there's this like sort of competitive quality, right? Like actually going out and um, you know 
pushing your narrative out there in the world, playing with other people, um, expanding the story. Uh, which one of those really appeals to you most, or is it like sort of difficult to untangle them? I think I think one and three are connected. I would mm-hmm. say it's the artisan quality, just because you know it's not reliant on finding other people. I don't. The game okay. stores are part of it. Is like the game stores around here. You need to you need a car to get there. I haven't driven a car since I live in DC, so I haven't driven a car since 2010. You know. So, <laughs> So it just I I need to catch a ride if I go to these things. So there's sure. So it's so it's definitely more the painting. I like the sort of narrative thing, but that you can also get that in the painting, or mm-hmm. you could kind of come up with your own stories. It's definitely the mechanical stuff. I think if you're really interested in mechanics, there are mini games that are good at it, but they're still not going to do. They're still not doing it as well as like a self-contained board game, a um, a video game, for example, where where sort of everything is taken into account. There's not a lot of rooms room for options, things like that. Right. Yeah, I guess uh, so. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess what I'd ask as a follow-up to the artisan question is: when you're painting, when you're doing this work, is it do you think about the difficulty of it or is it sort of like a, is it relaxing for you? Um, cause I can imagine it both ways. I can imagine it sort of like a, uh, a very stressful sort of perfection based, uh, process. And then I can imagine it also as, you know, this way to kind of, uh, check out to sort of like become focused on something else. So you're focused on nothing at all. I, I think it's both. Um, okay. and it's something you could probably sympathize with like writing papers or <laughs> something like that. Right. Like I, I mean, I'm a, sort of government social scientist by profession. So I get, I get sucked into these like things I'm writing, whether it's a, whether it's a blog post or a brief or something, or if it's a longer paper, um, I think the, you want, you, you, you get sucked into the perfection, like getting to that perfect level. Um, but there's times like I'll, my my fiance doesn't get it because I'm this sort of flow worker who I'll just sit there for eight hours. Time will disappear. <laughs> right. We'll forget to eat while I'm sort of painting away. But it's very like I'll at work that'll happen. Um, the if I'm writing a, a white paper, I'm very interested in right. Like it's it just yeah. time disappears. Other times I can't. You know I just am like. Well, yeah, if you hate the white paper, Facebook, like, right. yeah, right, exactly. Um, so that's that's just hmm. sort of the way I work. Like, I'm I'm a flow worker, and I like to. So there is definitely a. It's it's extremely relaxing. It's extre- like it takes a lot of focus, but when it when it when it comes out, you just kind of like, wow, I made this, you know, which is hmm. like I've read yeah. I've read papers I've written and thought the same thing. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm impressed. Every paper that I've read that I've written, I'm just furious. Well, at. there's that too. You're like the first sentence. You're like, oh, why did I missed the comma or something? This is the worst sentence I've ever yeah, written. Right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's always imposter syndrome because, and that's true of minis too. You post, you paint this. You're like, wow, this is the best thing I've done. And then you go on these like Facebook groups where people post theirs. And you're like, yeah, I got a long way to go. <laughs> So what's your technique like? I, I know that this can involve a lot of different, like, unexpected tools. There, I mean, for people who don't know, these are really small figurines. It's yeah. not like 
the, the nature of painting these is not like painting, say, like a, um, I'm trying to think of like, you know, it, these aren't sort of like a, a, a one and a half, like 15 inch uh, statuette. These are real small. Right. So, so what's your technique like? So the, the, I think the, you have to be willing. I mean, there's people who can do really insane things with these things. I am not such a person. Um, but it's, it's, you want to sort of facsimile, um, of what, of what you would see rather than sort of the exact, uh, thing. So it, it you, you end up, you end up overcompensating for sort of light, light and shadow, um, to sort of draw out the detail, things like that. Um, I've been experimenting a lot of it's, I've been experimenting a lot more with these blending techniques. Um, you sort of learn how to use the brush more and more, how you apply pressure, things like that, how you thin your paints. Um, mm-hmm. It it takes a lot of practice. Um, and I think, I think what I've come to learn is that when you watch these videos on YouTube of the sort of masters doing it, or you see these completed figures that are just unbelievable, is you're not seeing you're not seeing the hundred figures before that, that looked like garbage right, or looked like course. mine, which are garbage, but the, <laughs> I mean, they're not bad, but, but even still like the, you're not seeing their failures. You're only seeing the successes. Um, and these te- tech, they didn't learn these techniques, uh, sort of right away. So there's a sort of, there's a sort of, and, and these people are always willing to help. Like they're posting videos on YouTube. They're, answering questions which is actually really nice definitely yeah yeah it's interesting it reminds me a lot in some ways of not only competitive gaming but gaming in general where people complain about people who can't do it well right away or people complain about not like folks who can't play if you're watching a twitch stream and someone can't do it you get mad at them um but there's this way that like the people who are really good at the game seem like it's sui generis but of course it takes a ton of practice it takes a ton of time it's just not on display at that moment because gaming and sort of gaming culture is so premised on immediacy. Right. And it's premised upon there you being sort of elite or skilled, right? There's this. Mm-hmm. Sort of, yep. Um, yeah. Which I, which I think is less true maybe in the, in the realm of art, if we consider painting miniatures art, which is. Hey, why not? Um, for, for today's podcast, it can be. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would I would argue with myself on that one. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but, but I think like there's, there's maybe some more, there's, there's maybe some more willingness to allow for sort of new, newness and, and tutorials and things like that, which you won't see um, in, in gaming. Like there, I've, no, I don't know how many, like YouTube videos, there are showing you sort of step by step of how to be really good at Overwatch. Maybe there are. Yeah, I'm not sure. There might be. I, I know. I bet there are step by step videos about being good at games like uh, Dawn of the Ancients, or I'm sorry, Dota 2. They don't actually. It is actually literally just Dota 2. Yeah. Uh, they don't like. They don't like you to call it the the full name. Uh, or like League of Legends or something like that. Just because they are so they're so idiosyncratic in some ways. Actually, like like mini games. Um, it's such a different experience that, like, in a way, p- 
people are more willing to teach it because they know you haven't come across it before. Right. Whereas in Overwatch, it's in a lot of ways just like a first-person shooter. So if you don't know how to play it, like uh, by this point, you're probably either brand new to gaming or you haven't been paying attention, right. um, and people get frustrated. Right. And I, I mean, my my least favorite thing about online gaming is it used to be. It used to be it was only text chat, so you could just ignore if someone was telling you you're terrible. But now it's always right. voice chat. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's just awful. I, I've been I've been playing um, uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, and uh, which is great. Uh, but I turned off te- I turned off chat literally within the first minute of the game and haven't turned it back on. Yeah, it's awful. Well, and I mean, I just remember Halo was sort of the the progenitor of that. Uh, yes. Definitely, and and that was always a really unpleasant experience to have to play to play Halo online. Uh, well, what's so? What's the minifig uh, community like? Um, I a lot of people are really pleasant. Um, it's okay. a it's a like honestly, it's it's pro- even by the standards of like gaming communities in general, it probably skews nerdy. Um, <laughs> which sure no which shocks nobody um but i think most people there there's there's a mixture and i think that this is true of everyone there's people who are really sort of turn into rules lawyers they're sort of petulant if they lose um mm-hmm. there's other people who are just playing and like would want to have like a beer and, and play the game uh and don't care if they lose definitely okay. certain games lend themselves to a i i tend to think of Games where they're like not necessarily single player, where you're just sort of playing playing against yourself, but the but any game where you're playing against somebody else, um, I think the most important thing to judging that game is how fun they are to lose. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so if you have a good time, hmm. if you have a good time losing, then it's a good game. That's that's kind of how I look at it. That's a really good way to think about it, because of course, like having a bad time losing indicates that the only thing you actually want to do is complete the game. Right. Like, get it through with, so, you know, you can get some sort of reward. And, of course, unless you're in a tournament, there is no reward at the end. Exactly. I'm, I prefer these, like, even when I go to these conventions to play these games, there's these sort you either get the tournament, which is the, like, grinded-out competitiveness, or there's the sort <laughs> of narrative thing where you're, you're with a team and you're sort of, there's a campaign, and, and if you lose, you lose. You get teamwork, you know, you get, uh, like, sportsmanship points, you get points for how you mm. painted your, your guy. Like, and it's a much more sort of fun experience. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds really fun. I mean, like, there's there's a... I don't know, it's such a it's such an interesting balance in minifigs, like, where, like, you have to kind of balance this very artistic impulse to, to create something beautiful and create something kind of, like, perfect um, with this impulse to, like just be a really good logical player like go for high percentage moves and stuff like that it's just it, they two different completely opposed um impulses and right ways. and there's and there's definitely games that appeal to one or the other and i think this is actually sort of my problem with warhammer they just came out with a new edition but it's it doesn't it it took it took a really bad game and made it playable um <laughs> but i don't know if it could rescue I, it's just an it's just a game. They don't make games like they make this game any you know. And, yeah, sure. But but I think the big problem is a lot of the game is dictated by things that happen before the game. So you put your list together, 
and there's a sort of rock, paper, scissors aspect. And if you have, you know, one type of list steamrolls one list and gets steamrolled by another list. Um, and the rules on the table don't help because it says I go, you go. So I move and shoot, <laughs> do all that, and then you do that. So the first turn, by the end of the first, before I even get to move, if you go first, you may have wiped half my guys off the table if you have right. this sort of steamroller list, which isn't a fun, um, which isn't a particular fun uh, way to play a game. I mean, people usually would defer then, I would assume. Yeah, I mean... Like, say, like, I don't, you know, I'll take the next one. I'll take Tails. Yeah, it, there's... It's it's just a poorly... I think there's only so much you can do with it. A lot of games have moved to a, to a different sort of system in this, especially in activation, where it'll either be sort of one... I activate one unit, you do, or... Mm-hmm. Um, I think this game by Warlord Bolt Action, which is a World War II game, has the best... Uh, the best mechanic for this, which is everybody puts their units out there or their their, their models, and then each unit, rather than um, and each unit gets a die, and the die goes into a bag, and uh, you you shuffle up the bag and you pull out the die, or you pull out a dice, and whichever side side's color it is gets to give that unit, give one of their units an order. So there's oh, a sort of smartness to it. Rather, yeah. Which, which I find really, um, which I find really fun to play. Uh, the problem is it's a World War II game, so the community is terrible. But, oh, well, of course, I'm sure they also <laughs> love order. <laughs> but the, but the mechanics of the game are really elegant. Um, huh. So, yeah, I, I, I've never, I've only played this game in sort of, in modifications, a friend of mine made like a uh, science fiction modification to it, which was Ooh, fine. Nice. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. And but um, from what I understand, <laughs> to give an example of the communities that grow up around these games. Um, okay. Yeah, you're laughing because you know where I'm going with it. Oh yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm they, laughing because uh, I'm like I'm really excited for the story. They, they, uh, cre- they had a really balanced sort of system. And originally it was just supposed to be an infantry game. You know, it's a sort of skirmish level, you know, uh, brigade, regiment level um, game in World War II between infantry. And then they added, they got, they were like, people wanted vehicles, so we're going to add vehicles, tanks and stuff. Um, eventually the community, because you get these, these people who are really into the Germans, insist... Okay that, like, the German army was, like, super elite and only lost because, right. like, they ran out of bullets or were betrayed. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like... Right, this, yeah, it's just absurd myths. Yeah, the there's a sort of, like, yeah. narrative. But those people were so loud that they got them to... There's a rule now where the tiger tank causes fear. So just, like, the presence oh. of a tiger tank forces you to, like, roll to make sure your guys don't, like, run away pissing their pants. Oh, that's so <laughs> annoying. It's funny, actually, though, the podcast I, I just put out the day of our recording this um, talks about the Tiger Tank and actually how it wasn't, like, a big deal. But there's a whole group of people who want to think, like, it was the biggest deal ever. Yeah, well, um, now in ugh. now in bolt action, it makes figures <laughs> run away in fear just by... I like, I like the imagery there. It's very, like, it's very Jurassic Park. Like, you hear the rumbling of the tank treads and yeah. everyone freezes. Yeah, exactly. Like... 
<laughs> the story being told here. But so it's it's one of these games. From what I understand, I I don't play it, but the, these are complaints I've heard. Uh, that's that's been eroded by its community's badness. Like the rules have become eroded. Um, by well, it's interesting how much you have to listen to your audience in those games. Because of course, yep. like in a video game, you have it done, right? Like in some ways, you do have to listen to your audience because they won't buy your future games or they won't support your multiplayer or whatever. Like there's reasons to. Um, but for a game like like with minifigs, the important thing is that like you have to. You have to hope people go out and keep buying those right. little things. Like they have, they have you over a barrel. If you, if they say like, well, I'm not actually going to play this game if they don't, you know, uh, nerf the Americans and and bulk up the Germans. It's like, well, how many people is that? Is it half of our base? I guess we're going to have to go ahead and do it. It's probably more than half, given World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> that probably, yeah, probably. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's that's absolutely true. There's there is. I mean, you see this. I think you see this with video games too. Uh, Paradox is the sort of uh, the the sort of paradox strategy games are the the ultimate example of this. Where if you go on the paradox forums, you get all these like Balkan nationalists who mm-hmm. who who squabble over whether like one <laughs> province. <laughs> it should be part of like Serbia or Bulgaria in a given nice starting position, and like it's it's totally crazy. Um, but they are responsive to that, and they're like, "Oh yeah, so in the next patch, uh, you know, like Dubruja goes to Romania because these Romanians were really loud about this and like producing. That's funny, yeah." Like, <laughs> you know, I wonder if that's because, and and we should we should wrap up soon because I've I've kept you about an hour uh, now, but I wonder if that's because of the kind of like specific level of nerdiness that this kind of stuff brings in. I mean, we could tie this back to nostalgia in that like I think for some people there's a particular thing that triggers their nostalgia that kind of sets their life in a certain path. Like if the thing that triggers your nostalgia is a particular you know sports moment or like something that you did athletically you might be more prone to follow athletic things. Whereas obviously for us, our sort of nostalgic moments are these very niche kind of nerdy things. Um, And I wonder if there's something in that mindset that encourages this sort of thing where like the nerdier you get, the more punctilious you are about stuff that in the real world, it is not like socially okay to be punctilious about. Right. Yeah. I have a, I have a, a good friend, my, my friend who who I play mini games with, who um, who is who is extraordinarily into the Byzantine Empire, not in a particularly like not in like a reactionary way or anything, yeah, but just has like read every book I think there is about the Byzantine Empire and has like very specific views on it. Cool. Um, yeah, it's it's great. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do you like learning about the Byzantine Empire? Yeah. I mean, those people exist but that but that's the same sort of that's the same sort of crew that comes out i mean plus sort of nationalism right that comes out yeah. in these paradox forums to be like no debruja is bulgarian um no you know x croatia does not deserve x small <laughs> minor inconsequential territory in 1843 in victoria too Right. Right. Yeah. It, and it's just it's like the conviction of it's it's nationalism, but it's beyond nationalism too, because it's this 
is this nationalism fueled by a conviction that the order that they understand is the correct order? <laughs> well, I've like, read a lot of like, books on this. <laughs> yeah, it's the nationalism that comes from like it's. It would be if you were nationalist, then also you were arguing that your sister wasn't following the right rules and playing Monopoly or something. Right, like that. right. Like it's that kind of rage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's basically. <laughs> well, it sounds like I mean, honestly, it sounds like it sounds like mini figurines, like or mini gaming, like really marries the best part of gaming and the worst part of yep. gaming, which is not what I would have expected. But I guess after the fact, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely like you can you the 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 sort of narrative story stuff, the the um the art artistry. And that kind of stuff, but yeah, the mechanic. If you're just playing for mechanical purposes, you're better off just playing board games or or video games. <laughs> I mean, I think people people or, will disagree with me, but and if you're if you're into the artistry, I guess you could just buy the figurines and not play the game. Right. Exactly. Do people I, do that, or that's what a lot of people do. Like, okay. <laughs> especially like the big, the like the really good painters. I suspect do not play that often, if at all. You don't think they're bringing those out? Yeah, to the, to the table. <laughs> they're they're painting for for artists. I mean, a lot of them are painting to sell to people because people pay a lot of money for a fully painted. I can understand that, right? Because you have the people who just want to play, especially like sixteen year olds and stuff. And there's a lot of rules that say you can't play without a painted army. So what do you do? You go on eBay or you pay someone to paint it for you. Interesting. Yeah, there's you can make pretty good money. Uh, I I don't have any intention right now at because once it stops being play it becomes work and then it stops being fun so this also comes back to what yeah, we were exactly. at the beginning um, well I don't know man I think you should build your brand I think you should build your brand as a uh, as the the painter to to the working man valorize my human capital there you go yeah alright Gary Becker do it <laughs> Well, uh, Connor, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else that you feel like we didn't uh, hit that you wanted to you wanted to get to before we uh, closed up? No, this was great. Thanks for having me on. Trev. Yeah, this was this was really fun. I, I I did not expect to talk about this, but it's like actually one of the more fun discussions we've had uh, on the show. I think. Um, is there anything that you want to plug? I, I know not your Twitter because you know you're not on there anymore. <laughs> no, but, I got uh, I got nothing. I got no brand. Nothing. I, no, no brand. My brand's my brand's dead. I don't know. Can anyone read your? Can anyone read your like your white papers? Yeah, I mean, I have I have white papers at my old em- employer. Actually, I mean, it, I haven't worked on it in a while. But if you want to check out, I have a blog with a um, so I'm a welfare policy sort of social scientist for the government. Mm-hmm. For I've I've been at, at nonprofits before. I so I did a a guide. I called the leftist guide to welfare, um, and it's like not even close to done. But if you want to check that out, I think it's connorfmcgovern.wordpress.com uh, that you'll see the leftist guide to welfare, to actually existing welfare, as I called it, which is my way of sort of spitting in the eye of UBI people. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so and I, one day I'll get back to that. I keep telling myself I need to um, and then don't do it. But uh, it's, it's a, it's a good resource. So if you're interested in that, yeah, I've uh, I've been there a couple of times. It's it's been a while since I've been there, but uh, mainly because uh, I think the last I think because it's been a little dormant. But the the last time I was there, it was like and and still does um, have really really good information. It's worth looking at for sure. 
All right. Well, thank you. Please definitely come on again. This was really fun. Thank you very much, Trev, and I will. All right. Great. All right. Take it easy. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.